Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid of life. From these episodes, I aim for all of us to take more risks in our life, go after our dreams, have great relationships with those we love, and a lot of joy in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today on We Don't Die Radio, I have Mr. Robert Seidel. Robert's a friend of mine, and we met at a conference, oh, I think maybe three years ago. He is a nationally published author. He's a motivational speaker. He is an attorney, and he is a radio host. Robert Seidel hosts the weekly radio show called Success and the Law on CBS Radio. He has practiced law for 36 years and is coming to us right now from the Las Vegas, Nevada area. Robert is the author of the book called The Gateway, Discover the Power to Live an Outrageously Prosperous and Happy Life. And I'm really excited to talk to Robert today, find out what he's up to, why he may believe in life after death, talk to us a little bit about life and some of his practices. So Robert Seidel, welcome to our show. Hey, it's a great pleasure to be with you, and I mean that very sincerely. Yeah, I remember the first time I laid eyes on you was at a cocktail party, whether it was in Vegas or Los Angeles, I don't remember. But we swapped books, and I just remember holding your book in my hand and just being so blown away uh, by who you are and, you know, that this famous man wanted to talk to me. And, you know, you just, you're an incredible human being. So I'm just delighted that we're friends now and uh, that we're here. Uh, well, thank you. Thank, uh, thank you very, very much. Uh, and I want to honor you and uh, for the contribution you're making. Oh, and thanks. I, by the way, I want to say this to you. I, I, this, this is this whole idea that we die, I mean, that we don't die, that mm-hmm. we, we, we go on beyond the end of our bodies. Uh, I think is extremely, and I underscore, extremely important for that message to get out more strongly. Because I'm observing, I, I have multiple friends that really think they're, they're just bodies. Right. And then I, and, and, and which changes the whole way you live your life. I guarantee it. It's a completely different way of living. Oh, yeah. If there's no impact on anything, you know, you can be as good a person as you want to be or as bad a person or not be responsible for your actions and not care, right? Well, and not only not only that, uh, it's it, it leaves people uh, with a lot of them. Will, a lot of people that have that philosophy will sort of say, "Well, it's just trying to grow up and face that's the truth." I mean, I've heard that exact remark. Right. And by the way, that worldview has become extremely uh, prevalent in Europe now, to the point where it's almost the dominant worldview in Europe and England. And uh, and and it's just kind of like we've grown up, we face the truth. You know, and we're just material bodies, and let's just get get wake up to that reality. The problem there is a huge, huge problem with that, Sandra, and, mm-hmm. and direct us any way you want. But I'm just going to say it to you. Okay. The problem is that it leaves a person feeling like, well, I, I'll give you a, a perfect illustration. I won't mention his name, but there's a well-known entertainer here in the United States that I heard uh, giving a, a presentation at uh, one of the hotels here in Las Vegas where I live, and his comment is, you know, I don't believe in God. He goes, I figure life's just about how to distract yourself between the time you live and time, until the time you die. <laughs> and and I, I, if that's really, see, if you're, if you're just a body, 
that is all it is. Yeah, of course. And, 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 and that ultimately, no matter how, some people, they had a whole billboard thing in England which said uh, it was a whole campaign sponsored by Richard Dawkins and some other people saying that, uh, be happy, there is no God, enjoy your life. Like somehow that's going to make people happier. And again, I'm not, not right now trying to tell anybody what path they need to follow, but the thing is, if you think that's true, uh, it might seem like it gives you some momentary sense of happiness, but eventually it just leaves you to that other place we're talking about where there's no meaning whatsoever to anything and leaves you to a kind of a despairing outlook on reality. Yeah. And my dad used to say something, um, I forgot the expression, but it was kind of like, if you believe it's true, it is. If you believe it's not, it's not. And so whatever we focus our sights on, like if you and I were going on a trip to Hawaii and we would notice every single Hawaiian shirt that's walking around Vegas, you know, um, and if we're looking for, and, and I think you've probably had this happen in your life too, the more I've been grateful, the more I've, I want to say, expected miracles or I've expected these awesome synchronicities, those happen. So if you direct your attention to this body's it, this, is, you know, it's over when it's over, um, you're going to find a lot of evidence to that as well and not have a very fulfilled life probably. Yes, you know, that is, you know, but I won't even go, yes, that's absolutely um, absolutely true. Now, here's, I want to even say, go a step further and okay. say here, I, I'm going to tell people what I think is extremely good news, which is that, yes, we want to believe all those things, absolutely. The good news is, it's not a matter of belief, it's the truth. That's, that's the good news. Are you going to explain why you feel it's the truth? Because that's usually what I ask right in the beginning, is why. Uh, yeah, I will, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, as you probably suspected. No, I, 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 but no, I absolutely, and anybody yeah. listening to this, um, uh, I, I really want to share that with you, because all of us have a different gift of our birth. Yes. And uh, the gift of my birth is that for some reason I'm a very spiritually sensitive soul, and I, I pick up a lot of things that maybe other people don't necessarily pick up. And uh, with not, that doesn't make me any better at all. It just means that I, I, I experience things. Right. And I can tell you now, I realize now, looking back over my lifetime, I, even from the time I was like a teenager, I, when the people close to me died, a lot of times I would feel this really strong presence after they died for days or days, especially days later. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and if I felt close to them, and I, I remember thinking, oh, that was the person's experience, but I, presence, I mean. And in other words, their soul was communing with me. And I, I did not know how to put it into words back then, but now, um, this is many years later, it's like, how many years later? 40 years later at least, 45 years later, I've, there's a number of people, I mean, a lot of people, but I, I, I'll give you one ex specific example, two examples actually. One's related to my mother. Okay. Uh, actually, I want to give you three examples because they're all related. As they're many all related as you to want. My, yep. They're all related to my family. Okay. Uh, the reason I'm saying this, I really want, I, I would feel, uh, there's a lot of things I want to accomplish in this life still if it's God's will, and it just happens to be my path that I do surrender everything to God. But it, but if I, even this message alone, people got, and it delivered to people some, what I would consider to be the false belief that they're just material bodies and they're going to die, then you know what? I feel would feel like I've made a big step in fulfilling my purpose on this earth. But but what I want to say to you is that, like when my, my mother passed, she and I were very, very close spiritually. We attended a lot of spiritual events together during our lifetime. And... Uh, 
she was a great spiritual teacher to me, and I was actually somewhat of a teacher to her too. It's just kind of how it works sometimes. And uh, anyway, when when she made her transition, that's the word I use, since I don't believe we die. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we don't actually. Um, the for three days, a lot of people say, well, you know, grief is inevitable. You know, and 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 and, and I've gone through grief too, so don't get me wrong. That can right. be a very real part of losing somebody. And yep. I don't by any means. By the way, anybody out there going through grief. I, I, I have great compassion for you, and I grasp it. I, I've been through it, too. But in this particular case with my mother, uh, there was absolutely no grief. It was just the opposite. I was filled with so much joy and happiness. And a lot of people, I, I always said, I tried to tell this to people, and a lot of people just can't really let it in, but I'm going to say it now anyway. Okay. I was actually filled with so much happiness and joy that I was actually filled with laughter and almost a giddiness. And in what was happening there, I'm quite sure, but my sister felt the same thing with my mom. She, oh, wow. during the last six months or so of her body, being in her body, uh, it wasn't fun to be in her body at that point, as it often is not with people towards the end of their lives. And her mind had really degenerated quite a bit, and uh, she was still at least did know who we were, but that's about all she knew. And, and it's about in her, in her body, really, well, you don't need to know the details, but the bottom line is, she was not in good physical shape. Mm-hmm. And for her to get a chance to leave her body, and I think this happens to a lot of people, when they leave their bodies, I think there's an, almost an, a, an extraordinary sense of ecstasy because you're suddenly liberated from that sense of limitation. And it's like, oh, my God, it's like uh, being freed from, a, at that point, a very limiting experience. Yes. So for my mom, absolute ecstasy, pure joy for me, and a lot of people say, well, you must have felt some sadness. No. And it's funny, she's been gone now since 2006. That's eight years ago. To this day, I've never really, I mean, even sometimes I've felt almost guilty about this, but I, it's just strange how our minds work. But I still have never felt sadness about her death because I just know it, it was such a good thing and she's, everything was so wonderful. You know, Robert, there's cultures that celebrate death because whether they say they're returning home or they're, wherever it is they're going, it's parties happen, not funerals. Well, in, in Indian tradition, they have something called Maha Samadhi. And Maha Samadhi is, their, is another term for death, but they consider that the great uh, emergence into God. Hmm. So it's the, same, it's the same sort of idea. And, of course, in Christianity, those that believe in Christ, which I do, uh, the, um, the fact is, is that then you're, you're going on to something e- even more wonderful than our reality here. Wow. So... I like hearing that because it, it, it opens up a new possibility that I didn't even know could happen is to rejoice when, because like, my dad was in terrible shape and it's tons of suffering before he transitioned. And um, I mean, it was just brutal on all of us to watch. But so I can understand the release from the body, believing that she's moving on and now she's free. I mean, that actually is a beautiful concept, but just having the body participate in that too and not feeling the loss. I mean, you just opened me up that there is a possibility of that. And so that's awesome. I'm going to even take it farther. It's okay. a certainty. It's a certainty. And uh, it, it, so let me, I've got, like I said, I have some I really want good some stories. I want some more stories. Bring, it, bring them on. And, and stories, you know what? They're all true because I'm not interested in t- telling people fantasies. I mean, that's not going to help anybody. Now, I'm going to tell you about my dad for a minute. Okay. Um, my dad would be somebody who really, he didn't have, I've been gifted with all these spiritual experiences. He didn't really have those like I've had. 
Uh, he, he was raised as a, he's a doctor. He lived till 99 and a half. But he and I were very, very, very close. Wow. And, um, but it, we didn't have quite the same kind of, he wasn't quite spiritual like my mom was, but he was a very kind and loving man. And, um, but he was also humble related to God. He did. He was very humble. But, but here's what I want to say to you. Um, I had two things happen in six months before he died, uh, which was a year and a half ago, and then both of them tie together in a very beautiful way. Um, again, it's related to my sensitivity and my connection to my dad, really. But one was about six months before he died. I was up you know, about in the Oakland area attending a meditation retreat, actually. And I went to bed that night, and my dad was in Las Vegas, and I had this dream that my dad had died. And uh, it was somewhat ups- somewhat upsetting in the dream. It was unlike... Uh, it being shaken, it wasn't uh, like almost as if the bed was being shaken or something. It wasn't what I would call a peaceful experience. And I thought, oh, that's really weird. I don't think I've ever actually dreamed he died. I wonder if he died because he was 99 at the time. Right. Um, so I, I called the next morning, Sunday morning. I halfway expected to hear he had died. And but I, so I asked his assistant who picked up the phone. I said, well, how's my dad doing? She goes, well, let me let you talk to him. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why she said that. So. He got on the phone, and I said, Dad, so how are you doing? He goes, well, Bob, uh, that's a funny thing. He goes, last night I almost flew away. And I, now, mind you, I, kind of, I thought I knew what he meant, but I said, so, Dad, what do you mean you almost flew away? He goes, well, I almost died. He goes, but, uh, you know, something happened, and I didn't die. Well, so somehow, so that, okay, so I had this experience that he died, and I felt the sort of turbulence. Mm-hmm. And I get to confirm directly with him that the experience I had wasn't in my, my imagination. You get what right. I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Very sel- it's very seldom you get to confirm something with somebody. And now I want you to skip to six months later. And uh, I spent New Year's Eve at his house on 2013. It's the only night I've been there for like uh, four years at his house. Even though I lived in the same town, I didn't normally spend the night at his house. And I said, Dad, I think I'm going to spend the night here tonight. He goes, I took my hands. I said, he said, Bob, I think that's a good idea. And anyway, so we went to bed and uh, that morning, about six in the morning, I had this beautiful, beautiful dream, very ecstatic and pleasurable. And I was with my dad. We were sitting somewhere and there was this beautiful breeze coming in the window and it was just ecstasy. It was so joyous that I was thinking, wait a minute, uh, you know, even in a dream, I remember dreaming i got to remember what's making my dad so happy because I'm going to have to keep this going. This has actually happened in my dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, I remember these things. And, um, and, I, and then I woke up shortly after. I thought, I better go check on my dad. So I just woke up right after that dream, went and checked dad on him, and he had just made his transition. He just died, had died. Wow. And, uh, and it was absolute peace. There was no sense of sadness either. Uh, you know, I, it was just like I, having had that ecstatic experience and having had the one where it wasn't ecstatic six months earlier mm-hmm. and being able to confirm it with him, it makes me, it made me know the two put together that it wasn't my imagination. It was really, uh, he was really visiting me. At, he left his body and then visited with me and communed with me and shared that message with me on his leaving. Robert, do you feel that those two dreams are clearer and were easier to remember than your normal dreams? Well, you just, Sandra, you just asked a very profound question. And I'm, I'm not saying this to be nice to you. I'm, just, I'm actually just saying the truth. Thank um, 
there's different kinds of dreams I've had in my life. And I, you know, Abraham Lincoln had a lot of spiritual dreams. And a lot of, some of the times I think I'm a little like him. And, uh, and he was more openly spiritual, believe it or not, than most of the presidents we've had in this century. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but nonetheless, uh, yes, I have two different kinds of dreams. Um, one, one kind of dream is very different than just a regular dream. It's like you know something has happened. It's as if you've touched into another dimension. And uh, which leads me, I want to specifically speak about this, leads me to my third experience with my younger brother that passed away from cancer. Now, my younger brother actually was somewhat of an atheist for a long time, not, not because he was rejecting God, but only because he couldn't logically understand how God could work. In other words, he was like a lot of people in our society today, which is very logical and very scientific and very much material-minded. So he couldn't really uh, imagine... Now, you didn't have your brain in your body. How could you be conscious? That was going on in his mind. Right. So, but, so he got pancreatic cancer. And he lived two years before he died, which was a miracle by itself, believe wow. me. And a full two years when he was, he was at the stage where when he first diagnosed, it spread to his brain, his lungs, everywhere. He still lived a full two years. But so before he died, about three days before he died, I, he was in hospice. And I ended up talking to him. And, uh, and, and I said... We talked about him giving us a message. My wife and I were there. He says, okay, well, and he was very conscientious, a very loving, kind person. And he said, well, if I can give you a message, I will, but I, I have to figure out a way to do it because I don't want to interfere with anybody else's free will. I don't want to interfere with anything, but I'll figure out a way, if I can do it, that you'll know that I communicated with you. Oh, that's and incredible. He, not, wow. Yeah, he, he actually gave that exact set of criteria to me. Okay. And... So then about, I can't, this is the only part I'm not quite sure, no more than three months had gone by. But about three months went by, let's just say, I had this dream, one of these same kind of spiritual dreams. And this time, it was like, as if I was lifted up in a cloud, and there was like light, lightness, and light, uh, white light, and my brother was talking to me. And uh, I, I just was going on and on and on, he was talking to me, and suddenly I woke up. What often happens after a dream like that, you wake up and think, oh, I which is talking to so-and-so. You just realize that suddenly. Yes. Well, so just as I woke up saying that, my wife looked over to me and said, guess what? I was just talking to your brother, Jim. Now, here's the thing. My wife doesn't, she's a very loving, kind person, but she has not had many spiritual, any, in fact, that's probably the only spiritual experience I can ever remember her telling me about. So she's not like me. She's not inclined to imagine things, believe things. She's probably... And she'll definitely tell you what she thinks. Uh, she won't say <laughs> things to be nice. You know, she'll say exactly what's on her mind. Right. And the fact that she woke up before I even said one thing, is that Jim had talked to her, and the same night that I just woke up and Jim had talked to me, that was the answer. Because that, that, the fact that he communicated to both of us the same night was proof to me that he had been able to communicate to us. That's great. You know, you know what, um, you've been practicing law for 36 years? Well, yeah, actually 37 now, but... 37, and what... I'm just trying to picture out young Robert. That Have you always had the spiritual side? I've always had a spiritual side, but when I went to law school, it's funny because I just had lunch with a lady, I was recounting her my spiritual journey, but the bottom line is, I've gone through, I went through close to an atheistic phase at one point. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just... I was really still agnostic, but 
uh, in the sense that I was acknowledging I didn't really have the answers, but but at the same time I really figured, well, God probably is not real. It's probably just a fantasy, which is where a lot of people are at, and I don't I have compassion for that place. Um, but then, uh, but I actually I will tell you this, young Robert, when I was ten years old, I got very really loved the Bible, and I was actually on a TV show where they're asking me biblical questions. Uh, believe it or not, when I was like ten years old, ten or eleven. Interesting. And then, so I've gone through several different stages in my life, but in my late 20s, I went through a real profound awakening, and since that time, uh, it's, never, I, it's never gone away. I mean, I've been absolutely uh, focused on awakening to the potential of my soul and my relationship to God every day, every day since then. Oh, that's great. Can I read something to you? Um, sure. I just found it in my book, because you brought up Abe Lincoln, and I think we all respect Honest Abe. Abe Lincoln actually saw his death in a dream before he died. And this is on page 67. Those of you who have my book, We Don't Die, can find it there. And this is Abe Lincoln writing this. About 10 days ago, I retired very late. I had been up waiting for some important dispatches from the front. I could not have been in bed long when I fell into a slumber, for I was very weary. I soon began to dream. There seemed to be a death-like stillness about me. Then I heard subdued sobs, as if a number of people were weeping. I thought I left my bed and wandered downstairs. There was a silence. The silence was broken by the same pitiful sobbing, but the mourners were invisible. I went from room to room. No living person was in sight, but the same mournful sounds of distress met me as I passed along. It was light in all the rooms. Every object was familiar to me. But where were all the people who were grieving as if their hearts would break? I was puzzled and alarmed. What would be the meaning of this? Determined to find the cause of a state of things so mysterious and so shocking, I kept on until I arrived at the east room which I entered. There I met with a sickening surprise. Before me was a catafalque on which rested a corpse wrapped in funeral vestments. Around it were stationed soldiers who were acting as guards, and there was a throng of people, some gazing mournfully upon the corpse, whose face was covered, others weeping pitifully. "'Who is dead in the White House?' I demanded of one of the soldiers. "'The President,' was his answer. "'He was killed by an assassin.' Then came a loud burst of grief into the room, which awoke me from my dream." Abe Lincoln. And then I go on to say in the book that he saw his assassination in the dream and after his death his casket was in fact put on a platform in the East Room where the soldiers were stationed to act as guards. So he saw it just the way it had happened later on. Uh, yes, I'm, as a matter of fact, I, I, as you might imagine, since I mentioned Lincoln, I was, I'm aware of that. As a matter of fact, he had a lot of dreams during his lifetime. It, it, even the day he died, he had a dream. Um, it was it was on this very rapidly moving water or something, and and it usually preceded some great change in his life. Hmm. Very, I think that was the very day he died. But uh, so you know what? Um, I can only tell you I've had prophetic dreams too. See, the thing about life is that there's so much more to this life than we've been led to believe by some people. And, and uh, of course, the longer, there's an old saying, the older you get, the wiser you get, the more you realize you don't know. 
And I, <laughs> I know that's good news and bad news all at the same time. It, it's uh, yes, it, I guess you could say it's good and bad news. Oh, I, I look at it mostly as good news. Oh, I know because it's just I, it's mostly a matter of just becoming very very humble as you yeah. face the infinity of reality. But uh, but I think that that's a perfect example though that we can have these sorts of dreams and. I've got, I want to tell you one other funny story about yeah. somebody, a life-after-death experience mm-hmm. for your listeners. Um, I was ordained as a minister in 1983, or 1980, somewhere right in that neighborhood. No, it was maybe 1984. Anyway, and the lady ordained me was this wonderful woman from the South and um, very deep spiritual faith. I love women like that. And uh, anyway... So she, she, she actually helped. She actually performed my wedding. Also, she's one of the ministers who performed my, my wedding. But anyway, uh, about a couple of years after we were married, I got the call that her husband had died, and they've been married 60 years. Now, that's another story, a little like with my mother. You know, a lot of when I saw her, I, and then I had to go pick her up at the airport about a month or so after he died. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really quite sure what to expect. I didn't know if I was going to encounter. You know, a woman is in deep grief and absolutely lost, or what, what the story was, you know, what it would be, I mean. Now, you're going to laugh at this, and I, again, for your listeners, I hope they will always remember this story. Okay. Uh, she said to me, I said, so tell me, how are you doing now that your husband has passed? Because I have a tendency to talk to people about what's really, you know, real issues for them. Yes. Instead of avoiding them. And, she go, and this is almost an exact quote. She says, oh, honey, our relationship has never been better. <laughs> she says, she goes, I, we are so close now. She goes, if I ever had any doubt about life after death, it is completely gone. I said, really? So you have an experience of it? She goes, oh, oh. She goes, every day we're in communication. I said, so tell me this. I said, do you think you would like to be back here? She goes, oh, no, no, no. no. She goes, at this point, honey, that's how she always called me. She said, uh, uh, she goes, he's like a great scientist would be in a whole other reality. And for him now to come back here would be very limiting. She goes, no, no, no. But she goes, you know, there's no sadness at all. Everything is just fine, and everything's wonderful. Isn't that wow. interesting? Wow, it is interesting. You know, my subtitle is A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death, so I'm always kind of looking from, you know, the, so the skeptic in me said the lady went nuts after the husband died, and that's how she was dealing with the grief, believing that she was talking to him. But I have a sneaky suspicion that if I were to ask you, you were to tell me that she maintained, you know, like, her regular self and she wasn't a, a nut job so to speak oh no she well no she wasn't she she was uh no she, no, she wasn't a nut job at all uh she, she was a minister and her son was the head of a major organization right and uh, no she and I, I heard her speak the next day in front of a whole group of like 500 people and she was absolutely connected no i think by the way sandra i want to say something sure you see what you just said your skeptic response I have some dear, dear friends that I went to high school. I actually, I went all the way through, uh, from kindergarten all the way up to high school with, and I just happened to get together with them recently. And they would have said the same thing. Oh, they, they just would have been skeptical. <laughs> I just can't help but think that way. I mean, that's part of my makeup. So You know what I, you know what I call that part mm-hmm. of the mind? That's, there's a, I've had different teachers along the way. That part of the mind that doubts all this stuff, is you, Christianity calls it the carnal mind. Uh, you know, uh, one teacher I had called it the mortal mind. It's, it's the logical part of ourselves. And that you could meet an angel, and an angel could be in brilliant white light and share with you all sorts of great messages. And you know what? Uh, two hours from then, you'd probably be doubting it happened. 
Because that's how strong our that's how strong the carnal mind is. Do you know what? I have lived that myself. After I came up with all my evidence of my belief of life after death, even doing these electronic voice phenomena recordings, I mean recording real loving voices that I have recorded that people have heard and it's changed lives. I was able to pack all that away and just it wasn't like I was pretending it didn't happen, but it just became like it wasn't real. I mean, instantaneous, because I had all my good stuff that, you know, theoretically could have helped lives a long time ago, but it wasn't until just a couple of years ago that I came out with it. So I didn't realize that that's just a part of an automatic thing about this carnal mind that we do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I've had, yeah, I mean, I could, like I said, I've had a lot, for some reason, as part of my destiny, maybe sole purpose, that I've had a lot of those kinds of supernatural experiences. Hmm. And, uh, and as a result of that, uh, but I will tell you, in spite of that fact, in spite of that, the logical mind always wants to reassert control and it wants to, because it doesn't understand any of that. So the logical mind wants to explain it away. Oh, I must have been imagining things. Oh, maybe I made it up. Mm-hmm. And so then when you hear a story like with my mother, other, some people will hear that, oh, well, he was just, fantasizing something now my, my sister and my, my and i had the same experience but and it was so real that it's not a fantasy for me i, I know it's real and, but but see if somebody wants to uh they can explain away anything and uh that's that's the, and again I, I i could i'm not trying to be critical of people like that um that's just the nature of our doubting minds and uh you but i come to realize something um you can't prove to anybody anything no. because if they're not open, they're going to always, it doesn't matter. Like I said, an angel could be here in front of them and they're going to still doubt it. Right. They're I going to say, you know, you, know what they, you know what they're going to say? What? I'm hallucinating. That's all they'll say. I'm hallucinating. Speaking of hallucinations, I had uh, Dr. Peggy Sartori on the show who in the UK has done more research on near-death experiences than anybody, has her doctorate um, because of the thesis she wrote. Anyways, we were talking about people who have these visions into heaven or the hereafter just moments before they die. And she says a lot, first of all, a lot of nurses believe and a lot of doctors don't, who aren't right there presently by the side when somebody passes away. But she said that she actually, on several occasions, wanted to distinguish whether this was a hallucination or the real deal. So people that were speaking to their uh, already deceased spouse who, uh, or whatever it was, I mean, she'd go in, she'd ask them what the date was, what they had for breakfast, I mean, really specific things. And who are you talking to? Oh, that's my wife, Mildred, who you know, whatever, just very, very clear, very real, very different from any hallucinations that have come, you know, from uh-huh. drugs or something like that. So, oh, this is good stuff because I, I didn't know that our mind does that. So yes, I, it's very, it's very important to remember that because, yes. uh, and you have to be very loving and forgiving of yourself um, because, you, you know, all of us, you know, we, we, like I told you, you really, you could meet an angel and then doubt it. Um, it may even happen in your life, you never know. And, uh, and, and so we have to understand that's part of how we're wired, too. Mm-hmm. And every religion has a way of describing that. Interesting. Um, in, 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 in Hindu tradition, they call that Maya, which oh, is yeah. the, the clouds our mind and creates the illusion of reality. Say that again. It's it's called Maya M A Y A, okay. And it's it's the uh, it's like a blanket 
I'm just using that word right now. That's good. It's thrown over your eyes, a veil, that causes you not to see the true nature of reality. Ah. And so like I say, in Christianity, they call that the carnal mind. And the carnal mind is the part of you that's, you know, in the flesh that thinks everything's just flesh. And that's all, when somebody's in atheism uh, or, or just thinks their body, it just means that they're, they're, they're innocent. There's no, they're not bad for that. Um, it just means their carnal mind, their material mind, is what's really in control. And, and that's the dominant part of their consciousness. So let me segue a little bit into your book and what you're up to. Because if, you, if, you don't, if you've made the distinction that there's the carnal mind and whatever else you want to call it, what's available to people knowing that we're more than just this body? Can you clue in us a little bit about the gateway and the things that you talk about and you share? Yes, I am happy to. I really, really, again, it's my life purpose. So I, I know, I and, and we have the most fun when we talk about what we love. So That's right. That's yes. true for me. I, when I talk about things, I get on the radio every week myself and you know, it's, my whole purpose is to be a spiritual healer and transformer and provide some solace to people mm-hmm. and hope, you know, because first of all, people, the first thing I want to really stress here in this conversation, if somebody is listening right now and you really have our time believing this, the first thing to know is you're innocent. It, it's perfectly normal to have those doubts. That's extremely important for everybody, including you, Sandra, to remember. Okay. Having doubts is a normal part of human existence. By the way, Jesus uh, is quoted in the Bible as saying, God, why did you forsake me on the cross? So he had doubts too. Yes. So we have to know that that's okay. It doesn't mean we're bad. Uh, Peter denied him three times the night he was taken away. Mm-hmm. And so, so doubts and in, in lack of self-confidence are normal. But now, so if you begin to... So I'm going to make this simple, real simple. If I have a gift in life... Uh, is to make things simple. So I, did, I was number one in my class in law school the, during, at the end of the second semester of the first year. I graduated with honors from one of the top schools in the United States. It's because I could take complex topics and make them simple. Good. Because so this, this is a complex subject. It is a complex <laughs> subject. Uh, or it's extremely simple. I guess you could look at it either okay. way. But, well, so let's just let for a know. moment. Okay. So let's say we have a, a mortal part of ourselves uh, and then we have the part of ourselves that does remember and recognize there's God. And so for some people, that's more on the surface. For other people, it's more buried. Um, now, when you begin to awaken to the, the divine self, then the limitations of the material self begin to fall away some. And you, you see, Jesus, when he, if you're, somebody ever reads the New Testament, uh, the, the Bible, Jesus uh, did a lot of miracles. Right. I, and I, when I, for, during my kind of atheistic phase, I just assumed, like a lot of people, those were all made-up stories. Yeah. But when I went through my spiritual awakening and suddenly had a different vision of reality, I suddenly realized, oh, my God, those, those aren't just stories. And, uh, you know, is every single one accurate? I cannot say, but I'm sure a lot of them were accurate uh, or close to being accurate. And uh, so w- what I'm saying here is that... Uh, so there is this divine part of ourselves. When it starts to become in the, the rising state or the ascendant state, then you start to live more from the divine self. When you're living from the divine self, you start to realize that, just like Jesus understood, he could feed 5,000 people with five fish mm-hmm. or five loaves or whatever. And, and, and your, the logical brain says, oh, that's ridiculous. Come on, let's get real. 
But see, that's actually the world we live in. And, and, and but we're all so much under the influence of the material or mortal self that we can't see that. So we're we're stuck. We're stuck, mm-hmm. and we're kind of slaves. I mean, let's be honest. That we've become slaves. You know what I'm saying? I do. You know I I really do. Because we're we're the same stuff, so to speak. As I mean, we're our soul, even though we're in this body. And then when we transition, we're that soul, and we could be present to this miraculous place, whether you call it heaven or whatever it is. And I I still, we're the same soul, but it's it's not evidence like I can't just snap my fingers and have a waterfall in front of me <laughs> or maybe I can but you know my carnal mind you know it's like that would be an impossibility can I can I tell you something sure. I when I first went through a spiritual awakening I was like a little kid who had a suddenly a genie a magic genie or something and uh, I was doing a lot of spiritual experiments back then and actually I now have a little different way of looking at it but uh, in, uh, privately, I will tell you some of those experiments. <laughs> but uh, oh, is there one you can share with everybody? Because I'm trying to think. Yeah. I'll tell you one. Because... I have some other ones that are a little more extreme, but I'll share those with you personally. Okay. But I want to I want to tell you one just a reminder to me uh, that, that we live in an infinite and miraculous reality. Okay. I sure, I had this very profound awakening where suddenly it's almost like the veil that Mayak veil veil the carnal mind was kind of lifted from my consciousness and suddenly I started to realize, oh my God, this is a spiritual kingdom. This is not the material world I always have been told it was or believed it was, you know, or just believed myself it was. Uh-huh. So I, I went away not too long after that up to a campground up near Santa Barbara in a very remote, remote location about 70 miles from where I live. And so it's not nearby home or anything, but maybe even 80 miles, 90 miles, probably more accurate. Anyway, um, and I was on this beach in this remote, remote setting on this the waves were piling in, and I had a campfire burning. And I said, I was about to start a new business venture, and I said, God, if you could uh, send me some kind of sign, I'd really appreciate it, because then I would know I'm on the right path. And then, now this is the honest God truth. It still gives me goosebumps when I think about it. All of a sudden, out of the dark, this guy walks up and says, Hi, how are you? And he said, Do you mind if I sit down by the fire? I said, Sure, just sit down. And we start talking. Um, turns out he's a fairly a devout Christian, uh, although I don't even remember if that came up in our initial conversation. But but the bottom line is um, we started talking, and I told him I'm an attorney. He goes, oh, really? I need an attorney. <laughs> and he lived down in L.A. And so he goes, yeah, I could use your services. Now, seriously, I was just asking God, should I you know, start out my own business venture or not? Yes. And this guy walks up to me out of nowhere in the middle of nowhere, telling me he needs an attorney. Um, <laughs> That's validation. That. You're right. And in fact, I want to give you one other example okay. like that. Okay. Like that, too. I had studied with this one spiritual teacher, and I was up in the Marin, Marin County, up in north of San Francisco, and I just found out about this, this particular teacher had an organization back in Boston, which I never knew about. Or it was related to his organization. So it's like a new discovery. Oh, this is exciting. There's a whole new group that relates to this teaching, and, um, and I'm going to be able to find out about it. And it had a little card in the back of the book. If you want more information, just mail it in. Mm-hmm. So I was in Mill Valley, and I dropped it in the mailbox. Okay, that was on a Saturday. The next weekend, I went up to a place called Cedar City. I came home, and north of Las Vegas, 
So I was about 500 miles away from there. And I, and then I decided to take a drive up into the mountains. And, uh, and I drove to this scenic overlook, overlooking all the valley down below. This, this old uh, VW van pulls in. These two people jump out. And we start talking. And it turns out they are on a cross-country trip from that same place originated in Boston. Uh, and they were the heads of it. And they're on their way out to, to open up a new branch in, in uh, California. <laughs> now, I want you to think about what's the likelihood. I pop a, post, a postcard to their organization, um, and in less than one week later, 600 miles away, uh-huh. in an outlook in the forest, they come over to me and tell me about it. I have a quick story. I, I know our time is almost up, but you just reminded me of a couple things. Um, the last time I saw you in California, um, after we left, I have a sister who's a flight attendant for Southwest, and she looks similar to me. And, you know, I had gotten on stage and I had spoken for just a, a minute. So many people came up to her. She's telling me this story. She says, oh, I was just in Los Angeles and all these people thought I was somebody else. She says, they all said you did great on stage and somebody wanted their oh, picture buddy. with her. And... Um, and Glenn Morshower, the actor who was there with us, she says, oh, and I ran into Glenn Morshower, who was in the TV show 24. He was by the pool. And then I'm putting it together. We were at the same hotel, the same place, the same day. And it gets better than that. Just three days ago, I was flown to Boulder, Colorado to be a guest on a television show. And I make a post on Facebook that says, you know, I'm excited. I'm going to be George Norrie's guest on Beyond Belief. I'm in Boulder, Colorado today. I get a text message from my sister. She says, I just got home. I spent the whole day in Boulder, Colorado for the very first time. I've never been there. Her car was parked right in front of my hotel while I was inside. You know, out of all the places in the world, what's going on there? And it's, you know... (laughs) I, I don't even know what you call it, except for it's cool when those kind of things happen. And well, to look for those. In fact, you asked me about my book. It's called The Gateway, in case anybody's interested in it, and by me, Robert Seidel. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's the thing I want to say about it. My book was based on, believe it or not, I, I, I jokingly say um, I was a slow learner because some people, some people teach, as we both know, uh, Craig Dusswald teaches you can write a book in 30 days. I said mine took 30 years to write. But... <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, and this was a vision for over 30 years I had, which was what if you could write a book that wasn't just words, but could put people into touch with their own miracle-working ability, their own ability to rise up like the Christ was talking about and that uh, Jesus was talking about. And so I, I, but, so I went away and wrote this in a private retreat over the course of about two years, mm-hmm. but the vision had been in my conscience for about 30 years. So, so the book is designed to bring you into alignment with the kind of synchronicities that you're talking about, so that you suddenly start to become in the right place at the right time. That's the whole idea of this book. That's, that's actually great. what God wants us to be. That's what, how he wants us to live in this world. Well, and it's fun, and it reminds us that there's a bigger picture. I know our time's coming to an end here, Robert, so um, any, any last-minute words of wisdom? Um, you're awesome, and I can't wait to see you again. <laughs> Well, Sandra, you're an inspiration to me. You really, really are. Yeah, and, thank you. Uh, and, fo- and folks, you got to get our book because it's going to be a New York Times bestseller soon. Oh, that's my and, book. Uh, we don't die. Your, thank your you. book I'm thank talking you. about. Yes, your Thanks. book, yeah. Well, and, and, we, and, 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 and Go ahead, sorry. 
No, you go ahead. No, I'm so excited. I interrupt people all the time. But go ahead. What were you going to say? Because then I'll wrap it up. No, no, no. I and, and, and since I don't know if you're about to say this, but I'll say it anyway. Okay. And if anybody wants to find out more about my book, just they could type in ga- uh, Gateway Book. Uh, actually, thegatewaybook.com. Thegatewaybook.com, and that brings up a whole little website that has you know some positive messages for me, and also has a little tab on Gateway, and there's an easy way to order it if they're interested. But oh, the perfect. real pur- the purpose of this book is to just heal people and help them feel happier and better on in their soul. It's very, very simple and easy to understand. That's the thing I like best about it. Thanks. And thanks for sharing that site. I was going to share your robertsidel.com site, which Seidel is spelled S-I-D-E-L-L.com, and also a very easy way to see the handsome Robert Seidel, what he looks like, who this guy is that we've been talking to, is when you go to wedontdieradio.com, you can see Robert's picture, and then I'll have his link to both of his, his website and thegatewaybook.com below it and a little bio and then you can check out Robert and some of the the other guests so Robert Seidel it's been a huge pleasure having you on We Don't Die today and for our guest I know there are many places you could have been right now and you chose to take this time with Robert and I and I hope it's been a value I think it has it's been fun for me so I I always hope it is fun for you too so in closing um, just a quote that I have inside my book there's more to life than meets the eye there is more to you than you know so we learned that a lot about that from Robert and I always say this that I believe life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important so be open to those miracles beware of the carnal mind that's gonna try to convince you that things are not real Um, and this is Sandra Champlain thanks again for being my listener here on we don't die radio and we'll see you soon Mm -hmm.